You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Today, Father, speak through your word in a passage that on the surface may not seem super relevant to maybe our context, and maybe it's not in some ways, but the principles behind it are your word is truth, uh, your word sanctifies us, it is God-breathed, it is profitable for teaching, for proof, correction, training in righteousness, so that we may be adequate, we may be equipped for every good work. And so I just pray that by your spirit uh, that, that, that inspired the scripture, he, he brought us this truth, the same spirit, Father, speak through me by your spirit to your people, let them hear and just apply where, where it fits in their context. Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. We don't want to just know facts. We want to be your church. And so help us uh, to be empowered and encouraged by the scripture uh, to do so. Um, so just please speak through me. Um, I pray for those. This week we saw in our town a uh, plane crash of these, these precious military guys who lay it on the line so much. And, and really provide the, even the freedom that we are enjoying right now sitting here. Just pray for their families. Pray uh, that our city and uh, that the church specifically would do a great job loving them and caring for them. And, and somehow, Lord, that you would bring good out of, of a tragedy as you have so many times. Uh, we pray it in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, so one of the things about Scripture, one of the things that's hard about the Bible, and this is why some of you kind of start reading and you're like, I don't get it, and you quit, is that there's cultural challenges, right? And sometimes we look at Scripture like, you know, it's just like some kind of like, I can't really get near it, right? Because it's just too, you know, it's like something out of Indiana Jones in the, in the copies of Bible, for, you know, whatever. Because, it, and, and it is true that it is holy and it is true and there should be a reverence. But the Bible is real. It's genuine, right? And so when you hear a prophet speaking in the Old Testament, it's not just some pie in the sky. He's just yelling about something. It is a, there's a specific issue that's going on that God has sent his prophet to write about, to preach about, whatever. There's a, a narrative taking place that's explaining this is who was king. This is what happened, right? When Paul is writing letters, he's writing to legit real people. Timothy's a real dude having real struggles, right? And there's real issues going on. And sometimes those issues are the exact same issues we're struggling with, right? You know, immorality has been an issue since the garden, and so when Paul says, you know, this about Imran, that there's a very easy way to correlate that to this. It's easy. Oh, yeah, same as it is now, right? We just have computers, whatever. But sometimes it's not so easy. It's not a one-for-one one per se. It's not the same issue that, that we're struggling with that they're struggling with. And, and that, that's the text we're going to look at today a little bit. I mean, it, it's still a little bit relevant as far as like a one-for-one. One. There are some principles, but, but more important is the, is the underlying principle that, that he's going to deal with. That is still very relevant. And when we come to the scripture, when you're dealing with a passage like this one, it's like, yeah, I don't really think that's the same as thing. What you want to do is not just take that surfacey principle. You want to get to the deeper theological principle. What's that timeless truth that this passage is teaching? And you take that timeless truth and then you apply it to your specific context, right? And, and the timeless truth that we're going to get today is this, is how do, you, how do we as a church t take care of, deal with the most vulnerable, the most exposed, the most needy in our church and outside of our church? 
That's the timeless principle. In this context, he's going to talk about one group of people, widows. Right? That's what he's going to talk about. I know if some of you read ahead, if you got your little booklet, you're like, man, what is Fowler going to do with this? We will find out. All right? Um, but so, so I, and I know there are still widows. We have them in our church. It's not as prevalent as it was then. And with social service and all these, you know, pro-government, you know, 401ks, you know, life insurance, it's, it's a different context. But understand, uh, then if you were a widow, you were, you had nothing, right? So it was a huge need, and apparently it's a huge issue in their church. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Paul says about this issue, how to handle it, and then we're going to take a step back and say, okay, what does that mean for us, Savannah, Georgia, 2018? It's 18 now, so I was going to say 17, but... I'm old now. I mean, I'm moving on. All right, here we go. So chapter 5, verse 1, uh, let's look what he says. He says, starts off. Well, I mean, again, and let me just say this. This is a huge test of who we are in our faith, right? How we handle the vulnerable in our culture is a huge test of our Christianity. James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before our Father is this. Visit widows and orphans, the most vulnerable in that culture. Keeps oneself unstained. And so the, that brother of Jesus says, hey, you want to know what, what a test of your faith is? It's not how long your quiet time is. It's not how long you sing. It's not you showing up on Sunday. How do we care for the most vulnerable, right? So here's what Paul says. Do not rebuke an older man. Encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older men, elder women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. So what does this have to do with anything? He is establishing or reestablishing the principle he's been talking about really throughout this book. And what, what we see throughout the New Testament as a whole is that we, as the church, the church is not, you know, a nice building with nice windows and nice lights. And we sing a couple songs, we hear a sermon from a fast-speaking Yankee, and we go, all right? It's not the church. The church is a, a group of people, not perfect, actually very imperfect, but we have a perfect Savior, we have a perfect Savior, a common faith, and one who came, died on a cross for our sins in our place and rose again. And that makes us family. That makes us family. And that's the principle he's been hammering from the beginning, is that we're not physical family, or some of us are, but we are spiritual family. And so Jesus, when he's asked on one occasion, Mark 3, he's been preaching and he's visiting and, and somebody says, hey, yo, Jesus, your brothers and your mom are here. Right? And he says... Who are my brothers and my mother? It's those who do the will of the Father. And he was already hammering at that spiritual principle that we are now a spiritual Brady Bunch on steroids is what this group is, right? I mean, you got not just this local congregation, but with all, but this is supposed to be a family and so Timothy is dropped into the middle of this deal. He becomes the pastor of this church. He's 28, 31 years old. Paul leaves. Remember, he's got older folks. He's got younger folks. And Paul says, don't treat that older man. I know he's hammering you and he thinks you don't know what you're talking about. But you don't yell at him. You treat him like a what? Father. And don't hammer them young folks. I know you want to hammer the young 23-year-old who's still only working 20 hours a week and plays way too much Xbox. And you want to hammer him. So do I. But don't hammer him. Treat him like a brother. And, and the, the ladies, and we'll say they're more seasoned. We won't use the word older in this church. We say more seasoned, right? Uh, the more seasoned ladies, we, you're going to treat them as moms. How do you treat your mom? 
right? I mean, in this church, I, I get, you know, hugs from my spiritual moms all over. I mean, everybody that hugs me is, you know, they think I'm their son, and so they give me a big hug, but they're like my spiritual, they're my spiritual mothers. And then he says, treat the younger ladies like your younger sisters. And what do, what do big brothers do when this loser tries to take them out? They kick their butts. And, and we're not saying kick anybody's butts, but we are saying you treat everybody in purity. Remember last week I talked about the dating relationship? You treat, uh, if you're a male, you treat women in one of two ways. They are either your sisters or they are your wife. There's no other options in the church. In all purity. But the point is, it's family. And that's going to dictate the whole idea of where he's going next. But this is a family, and we're to live that out. And that means there's going to be conflict. Just like in your home, there's conflict. You're going to not always agree. Me and my brother, he don't agree on everything. In fact, he is wrong a lot. He, we got an argument the other day. We were in the car, and he's trying to sell me on the fa- he says, the greatest basketball player of all time is Kobe Bryant. I said, you are crazy. You are cray-cray with a capital K, crazy. Michael Jordan is by far the greatest. Amen? I said, I don't care. And the only reason is because he played against Kobe in high school because we grew up in Philly and he played against him. So he wants to say that he played against the greatest player of all time. I get it. But he's not. The Black Mamba is not the greatest player of all time. Whatever. The point is this. We're going to have to be brothers regardless. We've got to figure that out. We don't have to, you know, always like each other, but we are family. And so he says, as family, we're going we're gonna to meet the needs of the greatest in the family. Who's the greatest need? It's the widows. Again, in that culture, a widow is vulnerable. Her husband dies. She can't really just go out and get a job as, as much as maybe in our culture. And so how does she pay the mortgage? How does she eat? She doesn't. And there's no social uh, security. There's no 401k. There's no all state. No Aflac, right? So, so what is she going to do? And so he's going to give us instruction. He's going to say, honor widows who are truly widows. He's going to say, here's how we're going to care for these ladies. And understand, he's going to classify these widows, and he's going to break them into three categories. And the question that he's trying to answer is, how, who do we care for and how do we do it? Because he's going to say, we're going to care for some, we're not going to care for others, and he's going to give reasons why. But that, it's, just remember, as we work through, there's a very specific need that's going on here. The question he is answering is, who are we going to support and how? And so he says, honor widows, and the word honor is actually, it's not just uh, respect, but it's financial. We're going to see this next week. It's a, you're going to financially honor, you're going to support widows who are truly widows, or widows indeed. Is what it, there's a classification. There's one group of widows in our church that we are going to support, the Widows Indeed group, all right? And we're going to see who they are, but he's going to introduce another group first. He says, if a, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn. So there's a group of widows in the church that have family. And if there's a group of widows, if your widow has family, he says, here's how you're going to take care of them. You're not. Their family is, Right? Their family, it says, let them first learn to show godliness. It is godly for you to take care of your family, right? Jesus was, remember we talked about his godliness, right? You want to know what godliness is? It's Jesus. Jesus on the cross looks down at his mama and says, woman, behold your son to John. John, behold your mother. He's saying, you're going to take care of my mama now, right? So even on the cross, Jesus is caring for his mother, it's godly, he says, for them to show to their own household and to make some, I love this line, make some return to their parents. The idea is repayment, right? He's like, repayment for what? Well, nasty diapers, 
sleepless nights, car insurance, t-ball games with crazy sand that's 110 degrees no one cares about. I mean, you can just fill in the repayment, car insurance, all these things, prom dress, right? Whatever. The idea is your parents sacrificed. And so now it's time to return. I'm thinking, man, it's going to be good. It better be great to return, right? But then the next line, and it says, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And we'll come back to this. But understand this. When you care for the vulnerable, it is a pleasing thing to God. And to, to care for your parents, for widows. He says, they, this, if they have a family member, the family takes care. Because there's a circle of life, right? There's the Lion King, the circle of life, right? The circle of life, how does it start? You start weak. Can't even hold your head up. You're all, you know, you hand a baby to somebody that doesn't know what they're doing, and the kids, you know, it's all like, oh, hold the head up, right? You can't even hold your head up. You can't feed yourself. You can't change yourself. It is a season of vulnerability and weakness. But what happens? You grow out of that into a season of strength, where now you can start doing things, and you can work, and you can meet it, right? But then what happens? Eventually, you move back into a season of weakness and vulnerability again, where someone has to care for you. And what Paul is saying is, when you are in your season of strength, you care for those who are in their season of vulnerability. Why? Because when they were in their season of strength, they were caring for you in your vulnerability. You were all, and they were all, right? So, so now it's your turn. But, and here's the thing. If you can't get this in the physical realm, then you're, you're going to miss it in the spiritual realm too. If you think you're all, I don't need anything, you're all, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, guy. If you miss the fact that you may be in a season of strength, and most of us probably are, we're in this one, right? But if you miss the fact that you will one day be in this one, it don't matter if you live at 183, right? you will be here one day. And if you don't see that physically, you will miss it spiritually because this is who you were spiritually. You were dead. You were, like Drew said, you were a, a skeleton in a valley, and Jesus brings strength to that, and he brings life to that, and now he carries our life. He dies for our sins. He rose again. He lives the life you cannot live. In our weakness, he is strength. God the Father sends the Son to meet the need. He was in his season of strength. We were weak. And so now as Christians, we do the same. We're just following our Father. So he says, group one widows, they have family. Family takes care of it. Group two, widow indeed group. She who is truly a widow, again, a widow indeed, he's classifying her, left all alone. She's got nobody. I mean, she's got nobody. Her hope is on God and God alone. She's continuing in prayer and supplications night and day. She's not self-indulgent. There are some, he says, that are self-indulgent who are dead, but that's not this lady. She is a widow indeed. And what he's going to say is, we are going to take care of this girl. We are, we are going to meet this girl's needs. Okay, the first group, their family's going to take it. This group, we're going to take it. And he says, command these things so that, that, that they may be without reproach. If anyone does not provide for his family, he's speaking to this group over here, those who have family, those who have grandkids and nieces. He said, if they don't provide for their family, especially his relatives and the members of the household, he has denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong language from Paul. You don't take care of your mom. You don't take care of your grandmom. You're worse than an unbeliever. And he's not saying that non-Christians can't love their families. Y'all, I got non-Christian friends. They love their mama. They care for their parents well. That's not what he's saying. 
what he is saying is this. So a non-believer can, they, they would be wrong, but they could say things like, well, I don't need to take care of my mom because, you know, I'm an evolutionist. So survival of the fittest, they're not the fittest. That's still the circle of life, like we said, right? Now, they'd be wrong, but they could say it. Or maybe they have a very humanistic argument. Well, your value is based on what you can offer, and so they can't offer anything anymore. They're just kind of a leech in society, so just let them be. Again, wrong, but they can say it. Or maybe there's a hedonistic, you know, they just all about themselves. Well, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, and I'm too busy, I don't really know. Mom's Dina, she, she's there, she's all the way up in you know, North Dakota, and I don't really want to go see her anyway. And I got my life to live, so forget her, it's all about me. Okay, wrong, but you could say it as a non-Christian. But for the Christian, there is no valid argument why you cannot care or should not care for your family. That's the point. You, you, can't, you can't use any of those or any other argument, right? Because God took care of us. And so now he says, it's your job. So don't be worse than an unbeliever. So he's talked about the one. Now he's going to specifically identify, okay, who is a widow indeed then? So we got the, the widows that have family. How do we identify the widow indeed, those who is truly widow? He's going to tell us, verse, verse 9. <clears throat> Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. All right, so the cutoff date, 60, right? Don't know how he came up with that number. I don't know how it made the 59 and a half people think. Whatever. But he says, if she's under 60, don't put her on the list. She's got she's to be the wife of one husband. And the idea there is she's been faithful to her man. It's the same language flipped that he uses of an elder. A one-woman man, this is a one-man woman, right? So she's been faithful to this dude, right, for years. Uh, she has a reputation for good works. If she brought up, she's brought up children, she's shown hospitality, she's washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to good work. Here, what he's saying is she's got spiritual credibility. She was a great mom. And she used to host all the, you know, potlucks and make mac and cheese for everybody. And she'd be visiting people. And she just, everyone knew her as the sweet lady. She gave hugs and kisses and loved everybody. She's 60 and she's been spiritually got faithfulness on her resume. He says, that lady is going on the list. Right? And, and you need to understand, we get asked daily as a church for, num- for, for money. I mean, people calling, you know, I heard you helped so-and-so. I mean, it's... it's I mean, it's unbelievable how often people come that have not, we've never even seen before, right? Hey, I heard you did this, and da, 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 da. and we try to help the neighborhood uh, as best we can, and we do. I give priority there. But understand, there's just people that have all sorts of great stories. They're going to Jacksonville. Everyone's going to Jacksonville or Statesboro, the two most popular cities in America, apparently. Uh, and they got gas cans to prove it. We need $13.73 because we got to go to Jacksonville. I'm like, man, that's, and, and impressive stories, I mean, Jay Jeter sits there. I mean, God bless him. He's, he's got to kind of weigh through some of this stuff. I and mean, some of the most creative stuff uh, you ever heard. Uh, and we try, you know, to be generous in, in certain circumstances. And we do help a lot of those people. But with some people, we don't. Because it just, it's, it's, you seem like they're lying or it's not, you know, it's whatever. Or, you know, it's, it's great. But here, here, the idea is that we can decide yes or no over there on those specific issues. You can decide whether or not when you get to the end of the Truman and there's the guy with the sign, if you're going to give him five bucks or not, or you're going to give him a can. You, that's between you and God, and I'll let God lead you in that. But when it comes to these ladies, nobody to help them, no hope except for the church, Paul says, they will be helped by the church. We are going to use our resources to help them specifically, right? So that's the second group. You got the 
Widows with family, they take care of them. You got the widows indeed, church take care of them. He's going to give a third group of widows, and he, and he calls them the younger widows, right? And again, this is a very specific thing for this church, understand, uh, that he's dealing with. He says, refuse to enroll the younger widows, right? Uh, again, in, in a culture where they don't have a lot of medicines as much as we do today, and people dying you know, prematurely or the life expectancy, you know, 20-year-old, 25-year-old, 30-year-old widows, a lot. Uh, so he says, don't put them on the list. Not because they're devalued, right? Because the, what the list is, and it sounds a little bit harsh when you read this verse, but understand, the list that he's talking about is these, these ladies who are committing themselves to the rest of their lives are going to commit themselves to the local church. They're basically going to be working at the church. They're going to be serving the church full time. That is now their family. That is their number one priority. And as they serve the church, the church is going to pay for them, and they're going to support them, and they're going to feed them, and they're going to pay their mortgage. They're going to take care of them. So he says, don't put the younger ones on, because when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. He's not saying marrying is bad. He's going to encourage marriage later. The point is, these younger ladies, they might be 33, and they say, yes, I'm going to donate the re- dedicate the rest of my life to the ministry and serving the church. But then like two years later, they might say, yeah, but he's cute, and he's interested in me, and now I, want, nah, I don't know if I want to work for the church for the rest of my life. I might want to marry him, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, you made a pledge, you committed yourself to serve for the rest of your life to the church, and now you're saying you're not going to do that. He says, they, they're going to they're abandon their former, and the word faith, some of your translations actually use what I think is a better word, the word pledge. If you have the NIV, a certain, I can't believe I'm exalting the NIV over this translation, but I did it today. But the idea is not that they're leaving Jesus, the idea is they made a pledge, they were going to commit themselves, and all of a sudden they're going back on their word. So they're making themselves a liar. Right? And besides that, he says, they learn going about from house to house, and not only idlers, gossips, and biddybodies. He said, they're, they're not busy. They're just hanging around. And what's probably going on is, you know all these false teachers and stuff we talked about in chapter 1 and 2? They're grabbing, grabbing these young widows who got nothing to do. And they're doing little Bible studies, and they're leading them astray. And now they're going out, and they're hanging out in other people's houses. You should have heard the Bible study this morning. And they go over to this lady's house, and she's all busy, but they're just sitting there and gossiping. And, hey, oh, I saw so-and-so. Did you see, oh, yeah, did you see the you know, ER last night? Or, you know, whatever. And they're just going on and on and on and on instead of being busy because idle minds of the devil workshop. So he says, younger widows, I'm going to encourage them to marry. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage your house, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So someone in this church are already, you know, gossiping and bringing, you know, division and all these things. Again, very cultural, right? And, and I realize that, you know, in that culture, you know, you could be a widow at 22 and married at 22 and a half. I mean, and, and marriage looks a lot different now. I mean, marriage, the purpose of it's the same, but dating versus arranged marriage and all these things. So don't get lost in the weeds. Remember, the question he's answering is, who is the church going to support, right? So don't lose sight of that. The church is going to support not the widow who has families. Who's going to take care of them? Their families. He's not going to let the younger widows. He's going to tell them, hey, you guys can go out and work. You guys can go. Maybe God will grant you a new husband and you can have kids. He says, so don't put them on the list. We're going to only put the 60-year-older godly woman who's got credibility on the list. And then he, reham- he hammers it one more time before leaving the topic. If any believing woman has relatives or widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may not care for those who, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Because it, it, the church is not rich. I mean, we're a, fairly, uh, we're a fairly affluent church, but we can't take care of every need in the city of Savannah. We just can't. We couldn't feasibly do it. We could probably manage the budget better, but we certainly couldn't do it. 
right? An early church is poor. They're super poor. They don't have like the CEO of Coke showing up. Yeah, I'll buy you guys a new church in Ephesus. Let's do that, right? They don't have that. Bunch of blue collar dudes. Not a lot of money. So they're going to pull what little resources they do have and say, this is the essential group right here. We're going to take care of them. Right? Family, take care of these guys, younger widows. They can still work. They can still make a living. They can still have potential to get remarried. It's a very specific need, and I get that. Um, but, it's, but it points to a principle that's bigger for us, a couple principles. And so let me kind of unpack that because I know you're thinking, well, you know, that's great. And, you know, really, remember, the specific need is how do we deal with the vulnerable inside our context and even outside Right? Let, me, let me just give you a couple thoughts. And, and it's all rooted in what he said back in verse 4. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. We're Protestant, right? We're, you know, so I, I know in Protestant circles, whether it's whatever background you came from, non-denominational, Baptist, Methodist, whatever, we, we hammer the gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith. Absolutely. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing. You can't be good. You can't give enough money. You can't care for enough widows and orphans. You can never get to God. We've established that your salvation is through faith alone. But sometimes we forget that just because you cannot earn your father's salvation doesn't mean that you cannot be pleasing to your father. Right? There is a difference. My sons will always be my sons. My own flesh and blood. They look like me. They act like me. My, my, when one of my sons bring home a D, which is a common occurrence in the Fowler house, and the other one brings a home an A, which is not as common, but it happens, I am pleased with the A. I am not as much anymore. When it first started happening, I was real upset, but now I'm just like, oh, that's the norm in our house. But I am not as pleased with the D unless it's the best that they can do. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change their last name. You're not my kid anymore. It doesn't mean I'm kicking them out of the house. Uh, it does mean I may take their phone. But, but it, it, it's not an issue of love or, you know, who you are anymore. But it is pleasing. If my child, if I say, go clean your room and they clean your room, that pleases me. If they don't, I'm, it hurts me. And the idea as Christians, we cannot earn God's favor, but you can be pleasing to your heavenly father. In fact, the apostle Paul says that you ought to be. Whether we are home or away, that means at heaven or on earth, you make it your goal, your aim to do what? To please him. Obedience pleases your father, y'all. It pleases your father in heaven. Paul says elsewhere that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul elsewhere says in Colossians, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. It is pleasing to God when you follow him. Your faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him, but your faith does please him. God the Father, when he speaks to God the Son at his baptism, says, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am pleased. And so when we follow Jesus, our Father is pleased with us because he was pleased with his Son. So don't, I know we can't earn our salvation, but you can be pleasing to your father. And when you care for others who are vulnerable, who are needy, it is, it is pleasing to your father in heaven. You need to understand that. So all these things are rooted in that. We seek to please him. So here, let me give you a couple applications. Some of them are one-to-one. Some of them are kind of a little big picture. Number one is the most obvious is we are responsible to care for our families because it pleases God. Right? Uh, 
in your time of strength, you care for those on both sides, by the way, those who are weak here, those who are weak here. That is your responsibility with your siblings, maybe with your cousins, whatever. I mean, as a dad, I mean, real practically, if you're choosing between diapers and a golf club, not much choice unless you want that baby naked on your your chest all night long and you you can go, right? You were choosing the diapers. Why? It is your job to provide for your family. It's a priority. As as our parents age, as our grandparents, whoever, it is our job to care. And, And look, that looks like a thousand different things. And maybe it's you and your brother. I mean, I saw my parents. My parents are about to be 70 next year. And so I've seen how they've done it. And I think they've done some things well and some not some things well. But I saw how it's done from a distance. My mom does not live in Philadelphia. That's where her mom was. And she only got up like twice a year. But her brother was there and was there every week. And so I've seen different pieces of it. And she had a stroke and she had to be a place for 24 hours a day for seven or eight years. And so I'm not saying those places are wrong. I think that they're they're necessary because some of you, you, you can't. Physically do it. You can't, you know, with the health situation. You got to pray about what it looks like. But you ought to be involved in it. And it shouldn't be you see her once every five years. There ought to be care and honor for our physical family. uh, Because it's rooted in the idea that every man and woman is created in God's image and has value. Your value is not based on your performance. That's what our culture believes. If you have wealth, if you have prominence, if you can do stuff, you're worth something. If you can't, eh, we'll throw you aside. And in, in the kingdom, it's no, no, you have value because you're made in the image of God. So at the moment of conception, you have the same value as Bill Fowler standing on the stage in God's eyes. Because you are a person made in God's image. Right? And when we care for those made in God's image, it brings him honor and it pleases him. Because remember, God is the father to the fatherless. And, and again, even in our culture, the, the big hot topic right now, and I don't really care where you are on the political spectrum. You know, I'm probably one of the least political preachers. I have positions, and if you talk to me, I'll tell you, but not from this platform. But, the, you know, the idea of immigration and illegal aliens and all these things, here, here's what I would say. The biblical answer is God loves the sojourner. Now, whether or not they should be living in your country or not, that's not the issue. What is the issue is the church, who were aliens and enemies of God and were brought into his family, ought to at least love and show compassion to those who are on the outside. And if you think that's just a, that's a New Testament and an Old Testament principle, Israel was to care for the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, remember Ruth the Moabitess? Right? There was rules to care for them. And so I don't care about your political deal, but you cannot not love someone because they're different or they don't live here or whatever. Not biblically. And that's the idea. It, it is a, it's a huge piece for God. It uh, doesn't mean it's always easy. Caring for parents is not easy. It doesn't mean there's not going to be sacrifices. It doesn't mean they're not going to have to move here. Or you know, what, I get that. Yes. But when you were weak, they cared for you. Right? And I would encourage some of you to have conversations with your parents, with your kids, before you get to that season where you have to make hard decisions. So I mean, it, it, not, not to be morbid, but it would be, very, it would be much easier for you guys to decide, hey, when I, when I can't drive anymore, we're going to come live with you, or what, here's what we're going to do, and we have insurance here. And we, it'd be much easier to have those conversations on the front end than force your children into hard decisions later. I'm just telling you. Um, because they'll have to make those, and it'd be great, a great thing if you just said, hey, this is what we want to do when this gets to this point, and blah, 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 and, and we'll come live with you, or you guys, you know, 
just have them out front. Just it's real practical. Um, and I realize that some of you probably, I bet there's probably 50 or 60% of you, you're thinking, my parents were awful. And I hear you. Not that mine were awful, but I, I know that's real. And there's legit pain and suffering, and there was abandonment, and there was this and that. And, and, and I would say this, that even in those contexts, God can somehow use them. Because there's, it's amazing how sometimes, and I'm not promising this or anything, but it's amazing how sometimes when those roles are reversed, and now you're parenting your parents, how, how there can be healing and, and even some restoration, and the gospel can take root. I'm not, again, I'm not promising, but I have seen it, and how God can heal wounds. Um, it's a big piece for us, though, is that we need to care for our families. Second thing is this, is that commitment matters. And I'm not going to dwell on this long term because we keep talking about this. But belonging to a local congregation matters. And I don't like the word membership because it implies like golf club or, or you know, a pool or American Express. But the, I, so I don't really like the word, but I love the concept. You got to understand. I know the word membership is not in the Bible. I get it. But the concept is... Right? And we have to have a process of membership for multiple reasons. Number one, we don't want, you know, what if some guy comes into the nursery and it teaches Buddhism to your kids? We really would like to catch that on the front end, you know. Uh, so, so we need to know that he actually has faith in Christ himself. There's all sorts of reasons. But one, a big reason for us as shepherds is who are we supposed to, who are we responsible to care for? I mean, if I got two guys coming to my office, both lose their job. Both can't pay their mortgage. I have to choose between one or the other, and maybe we can help both, but this guy is a member at our church. This guy visited one Easter. Who am I going to support? My family. It's just the way God, because I can't do it for everybody. You know, we're going to help people. We, we, we pay, uh, help people in the neighborhood. We try, try to prioritize our members in this neighborhood. Those are the two priorities, and after that, we kind of, okay, sometimes, you, you know, this or that. Um, but how do I decide that? It's the same thing for them. They, which widows are committed? They didn't have membership or connect cards, but they knew who belonged. And this is why we do membership. This is why membership matters to us. Because who am I responsible for? I'm not responsible for every guy that pulls up and says he needs to get to Statesboro. But if you're like, you're a member here and you're like, my daughter just graduated and I can't get to her graduation because we don't have a car, we're going to get you there somehow. And there's a comfort factor knowing that no member of our church, if they let us know, will ever go hungry or end up with no home. Because we're going to care for our family. Because we do that. It's, that's what it means. We're going to pour resources into that. Right? And so that's a big piece for us. And that's why we continue to talk about membership. Uh, this is why we've established a bulletin board, by the way, on our website. I think that you can sign up there. If you, want, if there, if you have stuff that you want to give to the body or if you have a need, you can kind of put it on there. We need an X to go, you know. And people that are also connected to that, it's through our MyCBC and so if you have a, you can sign up for that and get the updates every week. Hey, someone's got a car they're selling for cheap, psh, whatever. It's a way to get things out there. Because I know, you know, your community groups, it takes, these things take place, so that's good. But sometimes somebody over here in Pooler has something that somebody on the island is looking for. So anyway, that's there because we we're family. Third uh, point that I think is valuable is that gray hair is valuable. Or for some of you, baldness. Whatever. <laughs> Unless you went premature bald, then it's, you know, it's just, sorry for you. But, you know, whatever. I know I'm getting there, so I can say that. But the idea that age is valuable in the church. And I know it sometimes seems like, yeah, this is a young person's church. Not as much as it was. At one point, we were like one-third scad, and it really felt like that. And so we're not as much anymore. 
But the idea, though, that this is a young person's game. I'm kind of done my time. Right? It's, it's not a good way of thinking. Um, as long as you have breath, there is value for you in the body. Even if it's just, I'm going to be like one of these ladies, this, these widows, uh, who, who's a prayer monster. This woman is a warrior. Right? She has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer night and day. You say, what do you do? You just stay home and pray. Yeah, I only impact the universe from my couch. How, what are you doing? Right? I mean, so if you say, oh, all I can do is pray. All you can do? Right? I mean, if Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Prayed that it would stop raining and it would stop raining. And so the idea that there is always something, there's always notes of encouragement that you can write. Some, I get... The mostly I get notes from, from our more seasoned ladies, right? Because they like to write notes. They don't just Facebook chat me or something because I don't even check those things. Um, so they write a note, and I can read it because I'm not a millennial. I can read cursive, so it's great. Uh, so, uh, but there's, there's all sorts of babies to kiss and love on. There's all sorts of people to encourage and hug and pray for and be generous to. Right? The, the point is, you're not done just because you're 70. You realize that Abraham wasn't worth nothing until he was 80? Nothing good happened. Oh boy, it was a wreck. And even after that. But 80 years old when he started to like kind of walk with God. That God, Moses was such a wreck that God had to say, you, I can't even start with you until you're 80. Go to the wilderness for 40 years. You're in a timeout. 40 years. And then when you're 80, finally I can do something with you. Right? That the apostle John writes the book of Revelation in his 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, right? That Daniel was well into his 80s when he's writing his letter and he's in the lion's den having a huge impact. And probably the greatest of them all. I mean, Noah didn't finish the ark till he was 600 years old. Still kicking it, right? 600. They lived a little longer back then, right? But the idea that, you know, oh, I'm just too old. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't fly. Right? There's so much value um, to gray hair. And, and so I would encourage you, if you're kind of the, you know, we have our 49ers, right? And um, that's the, you know, f- over 49 crowd, so to speak, that they do events once in a while. And I'm thinking, 49, I'm only like five years away from that, so that's really not that old anymore. Um, I'm almost a 49er, right? But if you're a 49, here's what I would say. As you, as you get more seasoned and get closer to glory, don't be grumpy. Just don't turn into a grump. It's, you know, if a kid is getting like, they're going, oh, we're going to Disney World, the closer they get to Disney World, the more excited they get. And there should be a little bit of that as, as you walk with Jesus longer and longer. I have seen it go two ways. I have seen, and I've seen preachers that I used to listen to, and the older they get, the grumpier they get. They're just mad at everything now. And I've seen preachers, as they, they, as they get older and more seasoned, they get more gracious and loving, and the gospel is just like infiltrating everything. I want to be that if God lets me. I don't want to, oh, young whippersnapper, right? That's, that's not helpful. You ought to be, uh, as the more seasoned members, you ought to be like Santa and Mrs. Claus. Everyone wants to be around Santa and Mrs. Claus. No one wants to be around Grumple Stillskins. And, and so you ought to be the encouragers and the cheerleaders of the church. That's what you ought, that's what you ought to see your role as, right? And, and if you're a younger folk, you're a millennial, you're a Gen X like me, you're you know, a boomer or whatever's in the middle there, what you need to do is you need to grab 
someone in the next generation, and you need to, you need to say, hey, can we go to lunch? If you're a college student, grab a, a 49er and say, hey, I'd love to go to lunch with you sometime and talk. And here's the greatest thing. Number one, they will probably pay for you because they have more money than you. <laughs> okay? That's just the way it is. That's why you grab the older, not the younger. If I'm going out with a college student, I'm like, great, I'm paying today. Ah, Right? But grab them and ask great questions. Hey, what do you do about money? How do I do, what am I sh- sh- do at saving and marriage and, and, oh no, I got teenagers now and uh, what did you do about X? And they got life experience of failures and victories and all sorts of things that they can teach you if you just ask. And even if you're not good grabbing a 60-year-old, if you're a high school student and you're fixing to go off to college, you grab just one of these folks that just graduated from UGA and say, okay, tell me, tell me what I need to know. Where's a good church to go up there? Um, What's the best on-campus ministry? And how do you do on this? How do you handle temptation? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, grab someone the next season. If you're about to get married, grab someone who just had their first kid. If you had your first kid, grab, and you're like, okay, grab someone who has teenagers and like, you know, in that season. Looking ahead. I'm grabbing, I'm talking to people now who their kids are just getting out of college. And I'm like, okay, how did you do this? Because I got two that are only two, three years away. And so I want to, I got to hear what's going on. I need to learn. And there's just, that's the way the church is designed. And we need folks that are older. To be not standing on the sidelines, engaged. It's a big thing. And then the last thing is this. We'll close with this. Is that we need to keep our head on a swivel as a church. And what I mean by that is, there is vulnerable, needy people everywhere. You drove through a neighborhood today to get here. Right? You parked in a neighborhood for people that have needs. Right? Financial needs, spiritual needs, educational needs, some physical needs. All sorts of needs. And the church should be the one group of people that are, that are looking for opportunities to help and assist. The world crushes the weak, right? Blood in the water, sharks are going to pounce. The church is the opposite. We actually are to uplift them. We're looking for the vulnerable. And the applications are endless, y'all. I, I mean, I, you're like, tell me what to do. I can't. There's you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to ask God, show you. I promise you say, Lord, show me the vulnerable. Show me where there's injustice. Show me where there's mercy needed. I promise if you ask that and then you start looking, you will see it. And it might be the, the, the seasoned lady that lives two houses down who's 78 and she can't drive anymore. And she needs, needs someone to take her to Publix where shopping is a pleasure. She just wants to have some shopping pleasure. And so you can take her in your minivan and say, hey, Mrs. McGillicuddy, let's go up to the Publix. It truly is a, a blessing. Right? I mean, you got this, the single, we have single moms. A single mom, a $100 Visa gift card to a single mom, some of them, is like, they won the lottery. Right? Because they're working full time and, and they're paying for this and they got childcare for this because it's huge. Or, you know, you got a family that has special needs and it, it's constant care. When you can come over to their house and watch their kids and, you know, put a Nemo and play games in the yard just so they can go on a little date to the mall. Or to you know, get a Chick-fil-A milkshake just to get out of the house. That is vulnerable. Those are vulnerable. Those are people that are needy. There's new people in our church every week. You can see them. They're kind of like scared during the greeting time. They're like, why is this greeting so long? I don't know what's going on. I mean, these, and that's the person that's vulnerable. Right? And you go up to them. You're like, I know it's long. It took me a while to get used to. Now I am the one that they keep having to say, hush, they're singing now. If you're a high school student, you know who the vulnerable one is? It's the kid that's not eating with anybody over there. 
And I know you want to sit with your cool kids over there and be all Mr. Cool Quarterback or whatever, but that person needs a friend. And what you can do, if you, you could go to that person and say, and maybe they're a foreign exchange student. Maybe they're, you know, whatever. Maybe you grab them and say, hey, we got this thing on Wednesday nights. We call it the gathering. It's at my church. It's literally like, you know, five miles down the road. You want to come? We get pizza. We hang out, sing some songs. We got this camp that we go to. Right? College students, same thing. You got, you know, I know a lot of our scads still here. You got folks from all over the world, right, that you have opportunities to reach out to. They might not know anybody else, and you can grab them and bring them into, I mean, there's vulnerable everywhere. You might get involved in fostering and adoption if that's so called, you're so called to do that. I mean, there's just opportunities. We, as na- just CBC neighbors, a simple one for one that they meet on Tuesdays and come and hang out with some kids and maybe do some tutoring. Maybe, maybe you can, so that you can know some names of some of the, the kids, so when you drive through in the week, you see them, you can stop your car and be like, what up, mommy? Come over to your car, and they tell you how their day was. So there can be relationships and caring. That's, that's the idea. And, I mean, I can't give you, I mean, you got to figure that out. you got to f- pray about it. Compassion's one of them, the one of the things we're doing next week. This is one little opportunity for you to invest um, in someone who doesn't have food and medical and all sorts of good things. And so some of us just need to get our hands dirty a little bit. A little bit, a little bit, a little too clean, you know, a little bit too tied, you know, clean. So we need to get a little bit dirty. Um, and so that's what God's called us to. And again, it's not because of guilt. It's not because we ought to do it. It's just all rooted in Jesus. So let me pray. And, uh, and then we'll uh, worship through the table and through singing. Lord Jesus, I pray uh, that we would be a church that is looking for the vulnerable, whatever that looks like for each of us. That you would use us by your spirit, that you would guide us to people who are needy. And that we, not only corporately, yes, but individually, would be thinking about how we can meet needs of others. Uh, This is true and undefiled religion, to care for widows and orphans in their need. And so that's what we're called to do. Uh, So just, God, we thank you that you did that for us. And when we were dead in our sins, you met our greatest need. In Christ's name.